0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Very glad that you are here today. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Ruth, chapter 2. We're making our way through the short book of Ruth, focused primarily upon the title character of Ruth. We'll read that in just a little bit. But I want to play catch up just before we do. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to catch up. But the story of Ruth is really about... Uh, it's a love story, but it's happening on two levels. It's it's a literal story between a man and a woman, but in a very broader sense, and we'll really pick up a lot of that today. Uh, it's it's the love story between Jesus and, and his church, uh, Christ and, and us. So uh, we're looking at this book because there are so many constant reminders of God's faithfulness in so many ways. And so it gives us a hope of Redemption, when, it, when, we, when we start to see like our rescue becoming dim, God provides in very surprising and yet mundane ways. Ruth is a poor, widowed, foreign woman uh, and ultimately, God uses her to bring about his Savior. This is a story of only what God can do. But it doesn't start out hopeful, does it? If you look at Ruth chapter 1 is a pretty abysmal, pretty dismal story. Uh, Naomi especially, her mother-in-law felt bitterness toward her. She felt consumed by anger. She was not comforted by God's love. Her husband is gone in a short time later while she's living in a foreign uh, nation of Moab, and we'll get to all of that. Then her son's are gone. And then one of her daughter's-in-law, Orpah, turns around and leaves at a request. But nevertheless, I'm sure that it's, it's bitterness. And now it is only she and Ruth that remain. If you remember, it was 10 years ago that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, made a choice for the family to go into Moab in order to be provided for he goes into a pagan nation of Moab in order for his family to be protected. He did not surrender himself to the providence of God's will like many other Israelites had chosen to do during the time of uh, the beginning days of the Judges. And we and we learn through as this is a microscopic story in terms of the, the full narrative, but the book of Judges is a pretty dark time for Israel. They continually do what is right in their own eyes. And so when you think about the culture, and yes, it's very important to think about the culture and the context by which the story of Ruth and Naomi is set. Because if you go back to Judges, you will see, it's not, they're, they're not experiencing a revival in Israel. They're not experiencing a revival in Bethlehem. God's people are not being faithful to Him as this story is being told. Now, this story is not about that, but the context tells us very clearly. And so we step through the doorway to chapter 2. There's a new land, the, the famine that Elimelech was leaving. He ultimately dies. His sons die uh, in, in Moab. And the, the famine he was trying to escape is now over, that he's dead. And Bethlehem is beaming with the fullness of, It is uh, harvest season. The barley harvest has just begun. Bellies that have been hungry for 10 years are now finally getting to be filled up. But Naomi and Ruth's bellies are not being full, they're still grumbling. Did God hear? They're still poor, they're still widowed. They have nothing. In fact, this is where we would get the idea of they're dirt poor. They don't even have dirt by which to plant any seeds in order to harvest. They are completely desperate. We sang just a moment ago, we are desperate, Lord. I'm desperate for you. And sometimes that's exactly what God allows us to experience so that we can gain a different perspective. Does God hear? Worse, does God care? Their circumstances are shouting to them that he does not. But there are whispers of grace rumbling all through this story. And now today, we're going to have an opportunity to connect a lot of dots. Now, we know that God is at work just because we have the full context of all of Scripture. We have all the promises of Jesus. We have all of the writings of Paul. We know much more about the character and nature of God than Ruth and Naomi do. They don't see huge miracles like they would in the Exodus. They don't see these huge uh, uh, I- invitations of God to his people up on the mountain where he gives them very specific directions like Moses experienced. But God is moving in powerful ways through just normal, mundane events. I love chapter 2 because it is so mundane it's in everyday life that God does most of his work if you've never thought about that I want you to remember it it's incredibly important it's through everyday life that God does the bulk of what God does Now, yes, we love the ideas of miracles and God superseding laws, natural laws, and creation itself in order to demonstrate himself. But have you ever thought about an infinite, perfect God that chooses to orchestrate his providential will through just things that are normal how much easier is it be for god just to be god and speak and do the the splitting of the red sea how much more infinite is that god would use just the mundane things to do the exact same work but if you're not careful you'll miss it if you're not careful you'll think that god is absent that God's not moving, that God's not watching, that God's not noticing, because all you can experience is the normal. And if all you see is the normal, then you will respond with normal responses. God, do you even listen? God, do you even care? But you need to recognize that every moment of every day is miraculous when God is in it. And I need you to really to remember that. We need to remember that. Just because God doesn't supersede and just because God doesn't do the abnormal does not mean that he's any less involved or impassioned. So it's true for Naomi. It's true for us. God is doing a thousand things in our lives. And every now and then you might see one. But God is always always sovereign he is always orchestrating he doesn't take turns with us he doesn't spend a little time here and oh now i got to jump over here and oh now i got to jump over here listen god is personally involved in every one of our lives every second of your life i want you just to think about that for a moment It's really easy for us to say, oh yeah, God's the God of the world. It's another thing for you to think that you have God at your disposal, involved in your life every second of your life. He is involved. He's going to to demonstrate that in Ruth chapter 2. So let's get there. You know, following God really doesn't... Does it feel like a straight line upward to glory? Sometimes our our circumstances push us really low. Have you ever noticed that? Has anybody ever been low? Raise your hand if you've ever been low. Raise your hand if you've ever had a question about your faith. If you've ever wondered if God cares or if God listens or maybe God is just trying to flick you off of the end of his finger. I'm not sure. I certainly have spent more time there than I care to admit. But I want you to think that the low place is always the place that we find the Savior. When He chose to come to earth, where do we find Him? The very first time we find Him. In a lowly manger. When we find Him on the most victorious day, where do we find Him? Hanging on a lowly cross. When He gave us His resurrection, where do we find Him? In a borrowed tomb. Listen, you're not... Most of the time, you're not going to experience God up on that mountaintop. You're going to experience him most impactfully in your life in those low places. And yet the low places are the places we don't want to go to the low places. In God's economy, the low place is the high place. So the story of Ruth really reaffirms that. In Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, we read that Ruth was a woman of noble character. The King James says she's a virtuous woman. So so try to think of Proverbs 31 there for just a moment. We'll get back to that in a moment. But Ruth, this is the daughter-in-law, had a reputation for being caring, humble, servant-hearted woman who became widely known throughout all of her town. And so today we're going to meet an additional character. His name is Boaz. If you don't know much about Boaz, but Boaz, he's the, uh, the son of Rahab. I want to talk about Rahab for just a moment. You talk about irony and providence. You remember Rahab from the town of Jericho. Jericho was the place in beginning in Judges chapter 2, culminating in Judges chapter 6, where the spies went into the land. There were only two spies that said, We believe God's really given us this land and this was in Moab Jericho's the capital of Moab and Rahab the harlot the prostitute lived there and she ends up hiding these two spies from Israel and if you remember what she said in judges chapter 2 when she meets these two spies she says we have heard about what God has done among Israel and when we hear how God goes before him before them our hearts melt We are terrified of this God because we know that the God of Israel is both the God of heaven and the God on earth. And so, yeah, I'm going to hide you because I'm terrified of your God. And they said, all right, when we come back and we destroy Jericho, we're going to preserve your family. But if your family runs in fear, we're going to kill them. No questions asked because we don't know. If you give up and you tell them that we're here, we'll kill you too. Deal's off. That's almost, that's almost like literally what they said. Deal's off. She said, I promise. They said, all right, hang a thread out your window. We'll know which house is yours. And at the end of it, when it's all done, she says, would you please take me back to your land where you live? I want to live among your people. It's so powerful. She goes back. And she is counted, Judges 6, she is counted among the people of Israel. This pagan Moabite prostitute who gives birth to Boaz, who becomes the central character of Ruth chapter 2. It's really important to know where they come from to see what God is able to do when you, when you don't know the circumstances of your story. Man, we give up too early. In Hebrew, the name Boaz means strength. And Ruth 2 tells us that Boaz was a man of standing. That's in social standing. King James says that he was a mighty man of wealth. (laughs) How would you like that? That's like the top line of your resume. (laughs) Man, Boaz, the son of Rahab, must have been quite a man. Successful, wealthy, strong, single. And he loved God with all of his heart. If you remember, Naomi had complaints in chapter 1. What God shows Naomi is that while you may be bitter... Now, we have to read the whole story. You, you can't start at the beginning of the story and predict anything about God. Some of you, you, you predict God way too early. you got to get to the end of the story. And if it, if it ain't good, it ain't done. So let's go to chapter 2. And we'll continue to see how bitter becomes sweet. Now Naomi had a relative. Now Naomi's the the mother-in-law. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, Elimelech, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, it's so important for you to know that most of the time through this book, she's always referred to as Ruth the Moabite, just in case you forget her context. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field along the reaper's she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, not in Bethlehem, the fields outside of Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. You just see this landowner walking up and waving at his, at his workers. Lord be with you. Hey, and Lord be with you. Remember when we are... This is the beginning of the time of judges when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But Boaz is greeting his workers with a blessing. He's of a different different nature. Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, uh, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheep of the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you're reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. And she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm just a foreigner. Boaz answered her, "'All that you have done for your mother-in-law "'since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, "'and how you left your father and mother and native land "'and came to a people that you did not know before. "'The Lord repay you for what you have done, "'and a full reward be given you by the Lord, "'the God of Israel, who's under wings. "'You have come to take refuge.'" And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her. And leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. That's that's a little over a half a bushel. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied, and her mother-in-law said to her, "Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you." So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, "The man's name whom I work today is Boaz." And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead Naomi said to her the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers and Ruth the Moabite said besides he said to me you shall keep by my young men till they have finished all my harvest Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law it's good my daughter that you should go out with his young women, less than another field, you'd be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Do you notice that strangely and in an incredibly mundane, boring ways, God begins to appear when Naomi is most bitter. And she didn't even know it. The Lord begins to move and he begins to orchestrate and he begins to do incredible things just through happenstance. Nothing happens in our lives that's not a result of God working in our life, right? Ruth two is proof of that. Ruth and Naomi come from Moab to Naomi's home, Bethlehem. She had a lot going against her. Naomi's got a lot going against her. Ruth has even more but they do have God on their side isn't that all we need is it a couple weeks ago we had a friend from Pakistan here who said you can almost pray the same two prayers but they are as different as night and day you can thank God for the food on your table Or You can ask God for food to be on your table Which one you choose to pray We don't have to choose to pray Amen We can thank God for food on our table How much faith does it take How much glory can we give to God When the food is already on the table It's a whole other level of faith To have to trust that God's going to put something on the table From meal to meal That's where Naomi and Ruth are living In verse 2, Ruth has an idea. She volunteers. She says, and by the way, if you've ever wondered why Ruth decided to stay with Naomi, here's where we know her motivation. She wanted to stay with Naomi because Naomi could not go into the field and work all day to glean for herself. What in the world is going to happen to you, mother-in-law, if I don't stay with you? Of course it would be easier for me to stay in Moab, but what's going to happen to you? I love you. I am your faithful friend. Remember, that's what Ruth means. She was a servant for her. Let me go and glean. This is a lot more significant than you realize because even how in the world does Naomi know to, or does Ruth know to do this? Naomi may be bitter, but this is proof that Naomi is still doing Bible study with Ruth. How do I know that? Because I've read the book of Leviticus that came almost 200 years earlier that described exactly what would happen if you're in Ruth and Naomi's circumstance. Ruth knew what to do because Naomi had taught her the things of the law. So while Ruth, or while Naomi may be, I told you, I get those mixed up all the time. While Naomi may be a little bit bitter toward God, she still is faithful to God's word. For instance, so let's go over and let's just look at Leviticus chapter 19. And I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. You can listen if you would like, or if your fingers are fast, you can go over there and turn. This is God's law making provision 160 years before Ruth and Naomi's story. Leviticus 19, 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Well, that does not sound like, like the American dream, does it? The American dream would say, it's yours, own it, wring it out. Every ounce. And yet in God's economy, he says, get what you can the first pass. Don't go all the way to the edges and whatever you drop, do not pick it back up. What he's reminding them of is even the things that you think you own belong to me. It's my land. I'm the God of this territory. I'm letting you steward it. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God reminds them that he is the landowner. He also reminds them that you don't have to bend over and pick up grapes that you drop. I'm also your provider. I'm your multiplier. Did God know that Ruth and Naomi were going to be in this situation? More than a hundred years later You bet And all of the Ruth and Naomi's That you'll never know the stories of God knew it all along Because God cares about the people Who think that they're not being noticed God desperately cares for the people Who feel overlooked He desperately cares for the people Who don't have He cares for the down and outers He cares for the broken He cares for the neglected And he makes provision for them In fact God commanded his people Should protect them Look at Exodus 22, verse 22. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. That's really clear. But he goes further to say, if you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Or Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and he loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 146, 9, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. God cares desperately. Yes, these are his people and this is his land, but he cares desperately about people like Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth is the one, this foreigner Moabite woman. It is her faith that takes a step forward. Just want us to remember that if God cares for these things, God's people must care about these things as well. And not only should we care about the down and outers, but when you feel down and out, just remember God cares and has already made provision for you. You may not be experiencing it just yet, but I promise, he promises. He has already made provision. So, so, what is Naomi doing in this story? Virtually, she is in a, just a desperate situation. She's not gleaning. There's no evidence that she's praying. Her heart is hard and embittered. And God loves her anyway. God's providing for her anyway. Isn't that beautiful? If you feel low and overlooked as Ruth and Naomi felt, God may be quiet. He may not be parting waters miraculously, but he's watching. He's noticing. He's not too busy for you. He's not too busy to care for you. God's not too distant to know the details of your life. He knows every, he knows, every, he knows the number. And when, what that means is he doesn't just know how many hairs are on your head. Each one of them is assigned a certain number and he can tell them apart. Sometimes He has to get things ready. Sometimes He has to get you ready for some of the things that He is ready. One of the ways that God cares is through His providential will. I don't take a lot of time on this, but there are... A lot of times when you talk about you know, like free will and God's sovereignty, it gets a little muddled because but, but there's not just one, one type of God's will. God has several. Very quickly, God has a preceptive will. That means what God has already clearly ordained in Scripture, thus saith the Lord. Did you know that, that, that God spoke or God has said appears 2,000 times in the Old Testament? There's a lot. There's a lot in Scripture where God has already made Himself very clear. That's His preceptive will. God has told us His precepts. There's also a discerned will, and that's based upon our level of obedience to God and our level of understanding to God and sensitivity to His Spirit. He will sometimes allow us to choose. He he knows what is best, but He will allow us to choose, which brings us to His permissive will. He will also allow you to choose wrongly sometimes. He doesn't force you to always choose what's right. He will allow you to make some choices in your life. The important thing would be to make choices so that your will aligns with His will. But then ultimately, there is God's providential will. And this is the one most people talk about. In God's providential will, this is where God gets His way regardless. God always gets His way with His providential will, it cannot be questioned. And there are many times in Scripture where we see that, but that's not like how it always works. It's really easy to say, well, but God always gets His way. God chooses not to always get His way, but sometimes He chooses to get His way. So today we're talking about His providential will. His working behind the scenes to accomplish His plan. The Bible says in Psalm 115, Our God is in the heavens and He does all He pleases. So God has the right and the power over all things. But sovereignty is slightly different from His providence. Providence is the use of sovereignty for a specific purpose of caring for His world and using His sovereignty for His wise purposes to accomplish His plan through us. That is His providential will. So I want us to look at verse 3 again before we get too far off away from the story. In verse 3 it says, so she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. I want to draw your attention to the middle of that verse, which is happened to come. You notice that? Happened to come. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. In, In Hebrew it literally says that she chanced to chance. Or her chance chanced. Or her numbers hit. It's not exactly what it means, but that's a good translation for today. It actually means in English, it says, and it just so happened. Now, there's a lot of irony here. The writer of the book of Ruth is hoping that we pick up on the, uh, uh, what's it called? Like the, uh, the obviousness of the irony. I mean, he wants us to go, hmm. It just so happened that she landed on the only farm that fits this description. What a coincidence. Isn't it strange? What a coincidence. This is the whole point of the whole story, is it just so happened that she came to the only part of the field in all of Israel where she could find help She could have her needs met. She could have her protection that she needs. She could have the provision that she needs. And ultimately, she will receive the rescue she needs. This is the only place on earth that she can find it. And it just so happened. You tell me this is not God working behind the scenes, manifesting himself in just mundane ways. There's nothing random or left to chance about life. Only the providence of God. Listen to me. There is nothing mundane about the providence of God. Everything that happens has purpose. We won't have time to read all of it right now, but in Leviticus chapter 25, there's a very specific law about, we'll call it the kinsman redeemer. We won't talk a lot about it today, but we will maybe next week. I'm hope, I hope to close out Ruth next week. <laughs> I hope. But in Leviticus chapter 25, there is uh, laws pertaining to the kinsman redeemer. It is possible that during a death that there is a family member that can actually redeem your home and your land if they so choose to do so. Boaz is the only relative qualified to serve As Naomi and Ruth's kinsman redeemer He's the only one that can give them back What has been taken away from them In the ten years that they've been gone And it just so happened Boaz's introduction is important Worthy man other translation says a man of standing or a man of valor he and ruth are going to eventually get married spoiler alert they get married they're going to have a son his name's obed obed's going to get married he's going to have a son named jesse jesse's going to get married he's going to have a son and lo and behold the lowliest of them all is king david Because my favorite title for Boaz, the translation, is Boaz is a mighty man. And it just so happens. Look at verse 4. And behold, again, this is another one of those words that the author wants us to notice. And behold, it just so happens that the owner of the field comes out in the heat of the day to just say hello, God bless you, to his servants. At the exact same time that Ruth is sitting there gleaning the field. It just so happened. Through the minutia of life. The Lord be with you. And with you. Brother Boaz. Mighty man. This is a normal day. Normal thing for Boaz to do. Boaz took his faith to work with him. Everybody knew it. Boaz is a kingdom influencer. They knew how to respond to him. But then Boaz does something amazing. This is probably one of the wealthiest men. I don't, I don't know how. It doesn't matter. One of the wealthiest men in all of Bethlehem. This His property is outside of Bethlehem even. And, and we know that he's a very wealthy man. Scripture, the Bible tells us in Ruth 2. I would imagine... I mean, just put yourself in this situation with Ruth. If, if you were Ruth, whose property would you go glean? This is not new to Boaz. Every poor, destitute foreigner comes to Boaz's field. This is not new. But Boaz noticed Ruth. Ruth. You know, there's a lot of people... And this is really rude, and I'm sorry for how this sounds. I don't know of another way to say it, but I think it's important. There's a lot of times in Scripture where people are found in the fields or they captured by each other's beauty. Oh, he looked as she was beautiful. And I think of Rachel, beautiful. You think of, uh, of, of David, or you think of Joseph, beautiful. Over and over and over, you see all these beautiful people getting attracted to beautiful people, right? And, and, and why Scripture would tell us that, I'm not sure. But I think it's very intentional that here, we don't know what either one of them looked like. It wasn't his, her beauty that captured her. It was her character. He already knew she was there. Who is this? I've already heard about her story. Because this is in the first conversation. I've already heard all about you. I've already heard about your noble character. And it has captured my heart. Yeah, I know every other woman in town. You know, I, I'm the most eligible bachelor. But I've heard about your heart. I'd like I'd like to spend some time with you. I'm paraphrasing, of course. It's it's funny. I think it's also funny that uh, foreigners or widows can go to any. Land and glean the edges of any field. And yet, when Boaz shows up and asks his chief reaper, Who is this woman? he's like, Well, she's Naomi's daughter in law. She moved up here from Moab. And how in the world does this reaper know Ruth's story? Because Ruth went and told him, Hey, listen, I'm going to be like over here gleaning. Is that okay? She's asking permission. Is it possible? Yeah, I think that's exactly what she's doing. I don't know for sure. But that seems like a very Ruth thing to do. She doesn't come at nighttime when everybody else would be too embarrassed to come in the day. They'd go out at night and they would glean the fields. But not Ruth. Ruth wants to get the best for her mother-in-law Naomi. There's so many things here that just show us about the character of of these people. But here's the point. Where you go and what you do is never left to mere chance. It's always a result of the providence of God. Now, that is if you are choosing to honor Him. He will allow you to make some pretty boneheaded decisions that will take you far from Him. But there is not a place that you can go with your boneheaded decisions that can't be redeemed. Back himself uh, we we'll look at verse 8 through 13 not only did God providentially lead Ruth but this is so, this is so beautiful through, this, through these six verses uh, seven verses it, it is so, it's so beautiful he knew who she was he knew how vulnerable she was and he didn't just sit back and wait and just let's think, let, let things play out he commanded her, he said, don't leave this field. This is the field for you. I know all of my neighbors. These are not good people. These are not good days for Israel. Don't go to any of these neighbors. And, and in fact, you, you stay right here in this field. And, and don't even be alone like all the other gleaners would be. Don't be alone. You stay with my women because all of my men know to take care of all of my women. So you stay right with them. This is him offering the protection. Every protection that he had, he's given to this widowed foreigner. And he said, listen, there are also going to be days where you get thirsty and so when you get thirsty, my men are going to draw water out of my well. I don't want you drawing water out of my well. I want you to get the water that they draw out of the well and you can drink that as much as you want to drink that. You can drink it. So I want you to notice that Boaz is building this, this protection fence around her to ensure her safety because this world around her is not naturally safe especially for vulnerable people like you. He uses all of his for all of her. What was her response verse 10? Well, I hope you can see the other story that I'm describing before you today. It's not, it's not Ruth and Boaz story. It's the, it's the Jesus Blaine story. In verse 10, she fell on her face and she bowed to the ground in astonishment, it says, that Boaz would do this for her. Everything in her life indicated this continual struggle for survival. She did not leave Moab for a better life in Bethlehem. She knew how hard it would be to take care of Naomi with nothing. She knew who she was. She knew she was needy. She knew she was helpless, hopeless, hopeless. And undeserving. But so did Boaz. And you know what Boaz did? He was impressed by her desperate station in life. Her character that bore up under difficult circumstances. Boaz answered, listen to this. Why am I doing this? Because I heard about all you did for your mother-in-law. I've asked about you. I know that you left your mother and your father your native land, and I know you come to these people that you don't know, not because you're in search of a better life, but because you had steadfast love for Naomi. And I could just picture Ruth saying, but you don't understand, Boaz, I'm just an old Moabite. And he said, so it was my faithful mama, just so it happened. <laughs> there's only one, one way that this is orchestrated all by the hand of God. Boaz in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge. This godly man looks at this Moabite woman and he just blesses her. The Lord repay you. I, you can clean my fields. I can give you water. I can give you protection. But the Lord repay you for what you've done for your faith. And may he give you a full reward because you have chosen to place yourself under his wings. His help will be partial, but God's help will be complete. I don't even know how I want to say this. When you humble yourself and you place yourself before Jesus and you come under His protection, you are surrounded by God's wings they're all available for you if you trust him. They're spread out to protect you. Nothing can harm you. You remember what Jesus even looked at Israel and, and he said, you who kill the prophets, who stone your own prophets. He knows that in just a little while, he's going to be going to the cross, killed by them. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only, if only you would allow me, I would take you like a Like a hen, that I would place you under my wings, but you would not. Jesus, um, let me say it this way (laughs) when you're in a difficult situation, Jesus is not the slow one to respond. Knowing what he knows about hatred, he says, Oh, listen, I know, I know you better than you know yourself, and I would put you under my wings if you just let me. When you read about Boaz, this mighty man, you can't help but see Jesus. You ever think about the difficult circumstances that you might find yourself in? the heartaches of life, the things you scratch your head on, you say, I just don't understand, but you keep trying to figure it out. You keep fighting, and you don't know what you're fighting, but you're actually fighting the providential will of God because all that Jesus is trying to do is to pull you close so that you can experience the closeness of his wings, but you would not because you keep trying to figure it out on your own. You keep fighting against God and trying to solve your own desperation your own way, and it will not work. But Jesus says, I already know your heart. You don't have to get yourself perfect before me. I know you're needy. I know that you're hopeless. I know that you're helpless. I know that you can't provide for yourself. But if you would just come to me and let me put my my wings around you so that you can sense how close my heart is beating. You ever think about the difficulty in your life may just be God's way of saying, would you just come close so that you can sense me? I'm going to be, my encouragement to you, quit trying to figure it out. Just place yourself under the providential will of God and glorify him in all circumstances, because I promise you he's at work and i'm going to, I'm going to close, but not before verses fourteen through twenty three which I'm only going to pull out a couple of things here. This widowed Moabite who left her homeland with an empty stomach is finally full. And Boaz says, You know what? I want you to sit right here. And very intentionally, here, the writer says, And he passed her roasted grain. She's not sitting at the end of the table, not with all the other gleaners. The other gleaners are not allowed to be there. She's sitting right beside Boaz. Her station, he's elevated her station to sit right beside his strong right hand. And he hands her roasted grain and he hands her bread and says, dip it in the wine. wonder how long it's been since she's had anything like this. Maybe never in her life. He passed it to her. And all he had is becoming hers. She ate from his hand until she was satisfied. And just like Jesus with the apostles, when the meal was over, there was an abundance left over. And she was full and she had strength. And he said, now you're going to go pick some more. And when you're done, you're going to take that, you're going to, take that to your mother in law Naomi. And slowly her heart's going to become from bitter to better. Because she's going to see the character of Boaz. But I want you to notice some things here as this is happening. He looks at his servants and he says, every now and then, just drop a sheaf. Would you just drop a sheaf for her? I want her to, I don't want, you know how hard it is just to pick up like strands of barley? Go ahead and wrap them up for her. Just boop, drop, no, that, that was for Ruth. Not just struggle, but blessing after blessing after blessing. Not one thing about Ruth's character has changed, except that she has found Boaz, and it's, it's beginning to change Everything else in her life. When your life falls apart and you are at the very end, if you will humble yourself, there is a field to which you can come and to an owner that will take care of you and he will feed you with his own hand. And he is so willing to take the burden and the identity that you wear away from you and to give you his own And he will let you drink from wells that you didn't dig. And he will let you eat from fields that you didn't plant. And he will allow you to sit right beside him as his guest of honor. And he will love you unconditionally. But you have to place yourself under his wings in order to receive the full reward. So for those of you who are going through a struggle right now, and you don't know why, and you don't know what, and you don't know, you're just flailing. Nothing you do seems to just be still and come to the field of Jesus, the mighty man, the mightiest of men, and allow him to give you his identity. Allow him to give all he has to you. Let's pray together. You may not be Ruth. You may not be Naomi. You may have completely different circumstance. I don't know. But I want you to hear this loud and clear. He cares for you. The situation you're in right this very moment, he cares about the things you care about. He loves you. He notices you. He's paying attention to you. He is 100% involved in your life right now. You don't have to catch him up to speed. You don't have to impress him. He's already impressed because you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus into good works. Maybe you're going through a difficulty. Maybe you're having to search hard to find something that's difficult right now in your life. But you're going to experience something. And I'm not prophesying over you, but you're going to experience something because the Father wants you close to His heart. And it's our desperation that allows us to remember His faithfulness. I'm going to do something that I don't do very often. If you're here this morning, and I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to make a deal out of it, except I do want to be able to pray. If you're here this morning and you're going through a difficulty, you're going through a season, and you feel like a widowed foreigner in a strange land, you don't belong... and you just want to know that somebody is is helping you pray, would you just lift your hand up? You're going through something difficult. I see that hand, hands all over the place. Well, I want you to know that the Lord knows and He sees, not because you want Him to, but because He can't help it. He sees everything. But I want to encourage you with this too. If you're not going through a difficulty right now, I'm pretty sure you know people who are. And rather than trying to solve their issue, would you just make a commitment today that you're going to use what voice you have to remind them of God's faithfulness. Just remind people that God is faithful. He knows, He cares. Let's stand together. We're gonna pray. Father, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer, for becoming one of us when you did not have to to come to your field and to be a blessing to your servants where you noticed widowed peasants in a land that didn't belong to them and you notice and you give us your name. Lord may we never get over it may it always soften our heart may we always remember where our full reward comes from and may we never for a moment think that that we have created or done anything to deserve it it's not because we're beautiful it's not because we're young it's not because we have something that you want it's because we bear your image it's all you So, Lord, whatever it is that we go through, whatever the circumstance may be, if you'll be with us, we will glean. If you'll just be with us, thank you for being the bread of life and thank you for being the water of life, the living water. You continually give in abundance everything that we need. Thank you that we're not beggars, but we're families. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.